0: We are into Daniel chapter five this morning. So, if you've got a Bible with you, I'd encourage you to grab that and we're going to be looking at the whole chapter. And I'm going to read the whole chapter in these just a few moments. The last of the that and the last key comes to the God. He was telling his nation that that God of Daniel was the God of the him to his voice and his and it seems like a really good hint. And if you are not familiar with Daniel, something weird happens to you. suddenly, and then he's dead. And so he asked that question, "What did I miss?" Well, there's a lot of holes that we don't know. We don't, we don't know exactly what happened. We don't don't know how much time is passing. We, we can not filled in all of those blanks uh, in the way that we would like. And it it almost feels like something in some ways, doesn't it? King Nebuchadnezzar died. It's not Belshazzar, it's now the king. Uh, Belshazzar, uh, we find Belshazzar, has many traits.
1: And in the midst of the dynamic of what we're going to read this morning, we're going to see that it takes Belshazzar's wife, who remembers Daniel and who remembers his wisdom, in order to bring a conclusion to this chapter. The question remains who is Belshazzar? He is mentioned in 31 verses of the book of Daniel, and as we'll hear in just a few moments, he dies at the end of the chapter. And so we don't know a lot about him. Now, there's kind of two camps of theologians. There is a camp of historians that believe that Belshazzar was actually in charge of Babylon during the his king's, his king's 10 year absence uh, from the capital city, what happened last week, and thus explaining the reference to him as king. Uh, but many of the old Babylonian uh, manuscripts and and historic historical items don't show that Belshazzar was actually the king immediately following Nebuchadnezzar. And it sounds like they use the wording more that he was the predecessor, one of the one of the kings following further down the line. And we see this week that Babylon is going to be overthrown by the Persians. And so there's a lot of mystery, there's a lot of intrigue, there's a lot of of, of trying to figure out what exactly is going on here. Now, we can't pinpoint
0: all of the historical
1: uh, parts. We can't make sense of all of that for sure. But what we can make sense of is the fact that God, once again, shows his power. Once again, is in complete control of this situation. So let's jump right in. We're going to read the whole fifth chapter of Daniel. Like I said, there's 31 verses. And then I have a few thoughts I'd like to share about it. And so, if you have your Bible, I'm going to be reading from the NIV. It will be up on the screen as well.
0: It says, King Belshazzar gave a great
1: banquet for a thousand of his nobles and drank wine with them. While Belshazzar was drinking his wine, he gave orders
0: to bring in gold and silver
1: cups, tab- goblets that Nebuchadnezzar his father had taken from the temple in Jerusalem, so that the king and his nobles, his wives, and his concubines might drink from them. So they brought in the gold goblets had been taken from the temple of God in Jerusalem, and the king and his nobles, his wife, and his concubines drank from them. As they drank from the wine, they praised the gods of gold, silver, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone. Suddenly, the fingers of a human hand appeared, wrote on the plaster of the wall near the lampstand in the royal palace. The king watched the hand as it wrote. His face turned pale, and he was so frightened that his legs became weak and his knees were knocking. The king summoned the enchanters, here's where it kind of sounds like King Nebuchadnezzar. The king summoned the enchanters, astrologers, and diviners. Then he said to these wise men of Babylon Whoever reads this writing and tells me what it means will be clothed in purple and have a gold chain placed around his neck, and he will be made the third highest ruler of the kingdom. Then all of the king's wise men came in, but they could not read the writing or tell the king what it meant. So King Belshazzar became even more terrified, and his face grew more pale. His nobles were baffled. The king, hearing the voices of the king and his nobles, came to the banquet hall. May the king live forever. Ah, uh, she said, don't be alarmed. Don't look so pale. There is a man in your kingdom who has the spirit of the holy gods in him. In the time of your father, he was found to have insight and intelligence
0: and wisdom
1: like that of the gods. Your father, King Nebuchadnezzar, appointed him, chief of the magicians, and the astrologers, and diviners. He did this because Daniel, whom the king called Belshazzar, was found to have a keen mind and knowledge and understanding, and also the ability to interpret dreams, explain riddles, and solve difficult problems. Call for Daniel, and he will tell you what the writing means. before the king, the king said to him, Are you, Daniel, one of the exiles my father, the king, brought from Judah? I have heard that the spirit of the gods is in you, and that you have insight, intelligence, and outstanding wisdom. The wise men and the enchanters were brought before me to read this writing and tell me what it means, but they could not explain it. Now I have heard that you are able to give interpretations and to solve difficult problems. If you can read this writing and tell me what it means, you will be clothed in purple and have a gold chain placed around your neck, and you will be made the third highest ruler in the kingdom. Then Daniel answered the king, you may keep your gifts for yourself and give your rewards to someone else. Nevertheless, I will read the writing for the king, and tell him what it means. Your majesty, the king, uh, your majesty, the most high God, gave gave your father Nebuchadnezzar sovereignty, sovereignty and greatness, and glory and splendor. Because of the high position he gave him, all the nations and peoples of every language dreaded and feared him. Those the king wanted to to put to death, he put to death. Those he wanted to spare, he spared. Those he wanted to promote, he promoted. Those he wanted to humble, he humbled.
0: But when his heart became arrogant and
1: hardened with pride, he was deposed from his royal throne and stripped of his glory. He was driven away from people and given the mind of an animal. He lived with the wild donkeys and ate grass like the ox. And his body was drenched with the dew of heaven until he acknowledged that the Most High God is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and sets over them anyone he wishes. But you, Belshazzar, his son, have not humbled yourselves, though you knew all this. Instead, you have set yourself up against the Lord of heaven. You had the goblets from the temple brought to you, and you and your nobles, your wives and your concubines, drank wine from them. You praised the gods of silver and gold, bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which cannot see or hear or understand. But you did not honor the god who holds in his hand your life and all your ways. Therefore he sent the hand that wrote the inscription. This is the inscription that was written. Mene, Mene tekel Parzin. Here is what these words mean. Mene, God has numbered the days of your reign and brought it to an end. Tekel, you have weighed on the, been weighed on the scales and found wanting. For as your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persians. Then at Belshazzar's command, Daniel was clothed in purple, a gold chain was placed around his neck, and he was proclaimed the third highest ruler in the kingdom. That very night, Belshazzar, king of the Babylonians, was slain, and Darius, the Mede, Took over the kingdom at the age of 16. Wow, there's a lot in there that we can look at this morning. And there's some things that that, that people have questioned, like why was Nebuchadnezzar continually given this grace by God? Why did King Belshazzar only get one warning and then he died? Well, we see a number of things happening here. That we're like father, like son. We see a lot of similarities, but I want to, after we talk about some of the similarities, talk a few minutes about the difference in this new king's attitude towards God. Now, we see the same plot. There's there's this tension of of uncertainty, of of not a dream, but of seeing this, this hand writing on the wall. <laughs> so there's the same plot, this tension of of calling in the magicians and 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 the diviners and everybody trying to figure out what is going on, and then, like father like son is is the same place it's in the temple courts it's in the area where the king um, has parties, where the king honors his guests where where everything and everybody that wanted to be somebody of importance would have been gathered. This party we were told in the scriptures was over a thousand people and Many of them would have been the same people. Some of the same uh, diviners and wise men. And and I mentioned before, there's two schools of thought about how the transition of power went. And yet, even Belshazzar's, Belshazzar's wife reminds him, do you remember what Daniel did? And Daniel reminds the king, do you remember what your father seen and what happened to him? And so it does have this sense of familiarity and this sense that the king... Probably should have understood and understood what was going on, and so, like in Daniel chapter two and in Jan, in Daniel chapter four, we find that Daniel is able to interpret what all of the others cannot. But there's this problem with the king. Belshazzar is incredibly arrogant, and God has to show him His power again. Now, another thing to note here that Daniel does not seem to give King Belshazzar the the kindness, the deference that he did to King Nebuchadnezzar. His relationship with Nebuchadnezzar was one where he could be blunt and open and say, this is what God is doing, this is what is happening. But he seemed to have this level of respect for King Nebuchadnezzar that we don't see here. Now, there's a number of things probably at play. Daniel likely had been pushed out to the to the fringes of society somewhat. He'd been forgotten by this new king. But Daniel also recognized that what God had put on the wall and what God was putting into place was because the king had taken the cups and the things from the holy temple and they were using them. And they were praying to the gods of gold and silver and bronze and iron and not even recognizing that possibly these these goblets, these cups from the holy temple might be in reference to a living holy God. And King Nebuchadnezzar, he always seemed to have this struggle, didn't he, between worshiping the on-living gods in society, and they were a pluralistic society; they worshipped as many as they could possibly worship. But he also had this tension of of, of recognizing that Daniel. And his God, there was something happening. There was a life to this God of Daniel. And Nebuchadnezzar proclaims him and and worships this God. And I think we're going to see a reason for why this chapter ended the way it did. Nebuchadnezzar seemed to want to repent. He seemed to recognize when he had sinned and and the ways of his folly, and he wanted to change that and become something different. Belshazzar, and and the fact that he gets overrun that night, and Babylonian history would show us that they had probably surrounded the city. We don't know if this party was kind of a last hurrah. We don't know if this party was, let's rally the troops and see if we can push them back. But there was this sense of an ending that was coming. But like King Nebuchadnezzar, King Belshazzar had to recognize that God is holy. And we learn about Belshazzar's actions and character through how he spoke to Daniel. He was kind of demeaning to Daniel. I hear you, you used to do some of these things. I hear you used to be good at this. But he doesn't ever respond to him in a nice way. He is throwing this huge banquet for the leaders throughout his empire He's looking to shore up, show up support. And Belshazzar like, probably knew an attack was coming. In the NIV commentary, it says, we are safe to assume that the tension permeated the air in the Babylonian capital at this time. Wine flowed abundantly at the banquet. The king and his nobles drank deeply together. The text goes on to talk about some of these, these tensions and some of these things that were happening. But in all of it, Belshazzar never once recognizes that there is a living God who is alive and at work in this world. Rather, his way of looking is is kind of to say, look at my power, look at my kingdom, look what we have become. And even if he recognized that likely his kingdom was going to come to an end shortly, even if he recognized that he wanted to go out making sure that everybody knew that he had power, that he was in control. It's possible that the king was making claims to his power even as these armies were at the gates of the city. Just reminding everybody, remember who has the power. Remember who is in control. Remember who is in charge. It's also possible that by his actions, Belshazzar was saying that God was not even as powerful as him. To take the cups, to take the goblets out of the out of the the temple of God and to use them in wine and 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 this wild party and the debauchery that was going on was basically saying, I don't believe that this God from where these 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 cups and goblets came from, I don't believe they hold any power. I don't think there's anything to them. And Belshazzar was mocking God by his own actions. Now, I I think, and I think most most theologians would agree that mocking God is probably one of the reasons that Belshazzar is killed so quickly. And we're told in the Bible that God will not be mocked. That God is 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 a God who is in charge, in control. And so when Belshazzar takes these cups, takes these goblets, and he uses them, and he worships these lifeless idols while he's using them of his own religion, it's like he's spitting. In the face of God. John Oswald says, and he goes, he says, and expects that this lifeless hunk of, of metal, these, these, all these gods around him are going to protect him from what is to come. So in the midst of this party, the wine has been flowing. There's a thousand people there. So suddenly the king notices on the wall that his hand appears. And it begins to write on the wall. And it's interesting because as um, archaeologists have, have looked through and, and uncovered a lot of sections of Babylon over the last 20 years or so, they believe they found what was likely where the king's palace would be. And many of the walls were, um, had pla- white plaster on them. And so they're saying that even though you can't see this writing on the wall because so much time has gone by, it would have been very simple to be able to write in that plaster and make sure that everybody could see that. And so Here is this king. He's king of the world. He's in charge of all that he sees. And it says when he sees this hand begin to write on the wall, that it frightened him. He was pale. He was losing uh, some of his faculties, being able to even stand. It says his knees started to give way. He was scared. Suddenly this king and all that bravado, all of that sense of, look at me. Everybody, just worship me, worship my God. Suddenly, just with the writing on a wall of a hand, suddenly has been brought down a little bit. His reaction is to be shaken, to be utterly frightened. He's in extreme distress. And the reference to the fingers of God, it says in the NAV Commentary, should not surprise us. It says, Though God has no body, his actions are frequently described metaphorically as the acts of his hand. Indeed, in three other notable scripture references, God's finger is at work. In response to the plagues, the Egyptian magician's remarks, This is the finger of God. We find that in Exodus 8:19. Exodus also describes the commandments that, that were received as being written by God's finger on the stone tablets. And finally, the heavens themselves we are told in Psalm verse 8, are the work of his fingers. You don't think God knows what he's doing in this moment. God is all-powerful. God knows what's going on. But Belshazzar clearly does not. What does he do? He does what his, what his father would do. He calls for all the wise men, the astrologers, the magicians, and all who are gathered around to try to make sense of this, and he has absolutely zero luck. And he's being more and more scared, and he's getting more and more shaken, and finally the queen comes in to this banquet hall. And she comes with this memory of what Daniel has done in the past. And she says, there was this man, very similar to to Joseph in prison in some ways, right? As Joseph is is in prison, um, somebody says... I remember, there's this man in prison who can interpret dreams. Well, his wife comes in and she says, there's this man named Daniel that in the past helped your father, helped King Nebuchadnezzar. And so for the third time in five chapters, Daniel is called upon by the king of Babylon. And God is using this man in a mighty way, isn't he? It's not even subtle anymore. In the first chapter it was with the changing the die, but it's not even subtle anymore. This young man named Daniel is about to proclaim a death sentence on the king. The king identifies Daniel as one of the captives, and, and like I said, it's almost in this condescending way. There's almost this way of, of just kind of mocking him. I hear you're one of the captives, and you, you're kind of wise. And it, it kind of plays back to what I said about how Daniel and Nebuchadnezzar, even though they were often on opposite ends of the spectrum, they respected one another. Daniel and Belshazzar don't have that history. And Belshazzar goes out out of his way in order to make Daniel kind of less than. Now, when we look at the tone of the king's speech, the king does not acknowledge his negligence, but interrogates Daniel without shame and interrogates him as if he were a prisoner. I hear you can do this. I've heard that you've been able to do this. And it's not like anything about his God. But it's all about reminding him of where he's come from. And maybe a little bit of subtle hope of what could possibly happen. Even good things, he says of Daniel, start with, I have heard. Contrast that to King Nebuchadnezzar, who said, I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in you. We can see such a difference here. So Daniel, after this interaction, he goes and he begins to interpret interpret what the writing on the wall means. Many, many title of Harson, of heart, sorry. And honestly, what these words mean are numbered, weighed, and divided numbered, weighed, or divided. Now, for the sake of Belshazzar, appointed, evaluated, and punished. Because Persia is about to take over the kingdom. Persia is about to come in and overtake this whole dynasty. John Oswald says that Belshazzar has ruled it all indeed, that Babylon has achieved ascendancy as the major power of the world, has been a God-sovereign determination. But it was a temporary period, now at an end. Belshazzar and the Babylonians have not measured up. And so now another power will come to the throne, one dominated by Persia, which includes the Medes. No further explanation is needed from Daniel. The message is clear, and it spells doom. And we see the fall of Babylon. Daniel's interpretation, once again, is proven to be true. Daniel's uh, Belshazzar suffers death for mocking God. Now, there are a lot of people that say at the beginning of their interaction, Daniel says, I don't want your rewards. And at the end, it says that Daniel took those rewards and placed them on him. Now, Daniel likely knew that, that they were meaningless rewards. He knew that that very night that this kingdom was going to fall and that what had been honored to him being third highest in command, having the, the these royal robes and the gold and everything, would not matter one bit. And so he probably accepted these words because he knew that. They were useless. They were worldly to begin with. But they were going to be absolutely valueless come the next morning. Now what do we do with this? What now? And I want to leave you with just... Four simple thoughts. First of all, it's easy to repeat the sins of our past, and even our forefathers. As we look at our lives, we can see over and over times where families have continued to struggle with the same sin, and it's rampant in families, and we repeat it. The next generation repeats it. And it's easy to repeat those sins of our past. The second thing I want you to remember is that God has quickly forgotten when we put ourselves first. This new king decided he was the most powerful. This new king decided that nobody could tell him what to do and where to go and how to get there. And as a result, he forgot God. He forgot what his father Nebuchadnezzar proclaimed and what he said. Thirdly, there's judgment and there's repentance. King Nebuchadnezzar had been judged. And he turned his heart. He repented. But not this new king. We don't get any sense of fear or trepidation at all. We don't get any sense that that he he fell to his knees and began to worship God. Only that, that night, just as had been proclaimed, his kingdom would end. The last thing I want you to remember is that we are to hear the word of God. The words of the Bible are not just a book of things that we just kind of look at, we pick and choose what we want, and we, 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 if something else is too hard, that we just kind of put that in the back. The word of God is to be heard and spoken. Belshazzar was overcome by his arrogance, his blasphemy, and his idolatry. I think we live in a world that is full of arrogance, blasphemy, and idolatry. And yet we can live more like Daniel, proclaiming the name of the living God. And it's in his name, and his name alone that we live. Amen. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. Father, next week as we look at how Daniel is thrown in the lion's den and, and Colin brings that to us. We just pray that, Father, you will um, you will even now be working in his heart and his mind as he brings that message to us. Father, but we recognize, too, how easy it is to forget the ways of God. Father, help us, as a church, to remember to follow after you, not after the things of this world, not after the things that we desire, but the things of your heart and that you desire. We ask you these things in your living Amen.